Jesus has been talking about people who are blessed and then about people who are salt and light. So why does that turn very quickly to a whole passage about how we get on with each other? Things about anger and marriage. What's that got to do with anything? Hi, my name's Stuart and I get to be the minister here at St Ninnens. It's brilliant to welcome you along today. Know that you are welcome here, that you are loved by God. Today, our readings and prayers will be led by Stevie. So let's listen as she reads for us now. Our fifth reading today is from Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 15 through to 20. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules. Then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today, that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Our second reading today comes from Matthew, chapter 5, 21 through to 37. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members 
than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body go to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. I have to be honest, there are some weeks when you look at the readings and think, nah, let's just pick something else. That's too obscure, or in the case of this week's reading from Matthew, just too hard. It's too painful for too many people, too many cans of worms to open, too many opportunities to hurt those who are already hurting, and just to make a whole load of people feel really guilty. But this is the text for this week, and the task of preaching isn't to pick and choose. If I meant what I said last week about the task of taking scripture seriously, and doing the hard work and learning and discussing and interpreting and listening, then we can't just skip ahead to the passage for next week. So let's see what on earth Jesus is talking about. The first thing to say is that this is the same thing we were talking about last week. It's still chapter 5. It's still what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's still the same people in the same place listening to the same piece of teaching. And just like the last time we spoke, that means that we can't make the mistake, as we often do, of pulling these verses out of context. The context is so, so important. Perhaps this week more than ever. There are verses that you can read on your own from the Bible and they speak to you or they tell you something. But I don't think that this is one of those. The Beatitudes come first. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. But remember, the last of the blessed people ends with a challenge to be peacemakers, to be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are persecuted for that, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to rejoice when people accuse you falsely on account of Jesus. And then comes the part about salt and light, being who we are meant to be, living up to our calling. Then Jesus talks about fulfilling the law, not ending it, making sure that it's complete. It all seems a bit random, but it's not. The Sermon on the Mount is a sermon about the Ten Commandments. That's the bigger context for this teaching. This teaching that Jesus is giving. What he's doing here in all of chapter 5 
is helping people to see the implications of the law. These Ten Commandments that they all know really well. So let's take a step back before we dive in deeper. The people who were given the commandments were, remember the newly freed slaves, freshly escaped from Egypt. They were institutionalised. They had been told what to do for generations and now they were free. And that's all great for about 10 minutes. But when you get down to the serious business of living together without someone to tell you what to do, then it all falls apart pretty quickly. Just read Lord of the Flies. So God, through Moses, gives the people the basics. Ten rules. Ten rules to help them to live together well. Ten things that they can all remember. Ten things it's pretty hard to disagree with. The problem is, those ten things are the minimum standards. It says don't murder, but it doesn't say that I can't punch somebody in the face if I want to. So more rules are required, more than these ten. But these ten commandments become the foundation of the law. They're still the foundation of our laws today. What Jesus is doing here in this teaching though is to pull on the moral thread of these commandments. He's asking the question, what would it take for the kingdom of God to come about? Well, it would take the law to be lived out fully, completely, without a jot or a tittle missed. Remember, the law is about righteousness. That's right living, living together in good relationship. It's about living well together in a compassionate community. The problem is that if you take the rules as the minimum standard, that, that's never going to happen because the bar is set so low. We still manage to break almost all of that list. Jesus takes the commandments in turn. Don't murder. And he pulls on that thread. Murder is an end point, an outcome. It's the point when nothing can be done to stop something happening. What Jesus is doing is asking a moral and philosophical question, a theological question. Where does murder begin? It doesn't begin with the act of killing someone. It starts a long time before that. So what attitude or behaviour needs to be present for murder to be a possibility? Anger, division, disagreement, a lack of regard for other people, an inability to resolve conflict. He says, how can we come before God and offer our offerings if we're in the middle of a fight with our neighbours? How can we know that we owe someone some money but let that go until the other person feels no other choice but to take the person to court? Blessed are the peacemakers, says Jesus, because that's the attitude that creates a world where murder never happens. We never get to that point. And then Jesus turns to adultery. I hate when the Bible publishers give titles to the paragraphs. Those, those titles don't exist in the text. In the Good News version, it says Jesus teaches about divorce. Well, not really, because he's, he's talking about much, much more than that. Divorce is just the next end point, except it isn't. We all know that divorce affects many people and many more people than the two people that separate. We get married in front of communities and when we divorce, it affects everyone. It affects all the people around us. In Jesus' time, divorce was legal. It was permitted, but only because of sexual immorality by a wife. So what, asked Jesus, 
is the start, the beginning of that endpoint. And he puts that behaviour firmly in the spotlight. It's men. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. That's a hugely countercultural thing to say, especially when women were little more than possessions at this point. They were given in marriage by men, with dowries to link families and cement business deals, and women were always to blame for leading men astray. We don't ever read any stories about men caught in adultery being stoned in the Bible, and that's because they weren't. It was always the woman's fault, you know, with her eyes and smiles and other bits. So much so that women end up having to cover their bodies so as not to tempt men. As though men have absolutely no control over their thoughts or feelings. When you pull on this thread, it ends up going through a tangled mess of the sexualization of women and the dominance of men. But Jesus cuts through all of that. He says, this is up to you. Up to you men and you women too. That your attitudes to each other are the place that this starts and that's when people start to get hurt. Remember, blessed are the pure in heart. Also next. The commandment says don't bear false witness. Don't tell lies. Where does that thread lead? We shouldn't make up stories. We shouldn't add tales or miss out some of the details just to paint a picture. And what do we say? I swear I'm telling the truth. Well, Jesus says don't swear because you have no control over the thing you swear on. Just tell the truth. What happens when you give evidence in court? You have a choice. You can swear in a Bible or you can make an affirmation. I've never heard anyone have great theological or moral outrage about swearing on a Bible. It just doesn't happen. But why not? Jesus says we shouldn't. We should just say yes. I'll tell the truth. And the end of pulling on that thread is those small untruths, the little lies that we tell each other to sometimes make each other feel better or to not hurt each other's feelings or just to make ourselves look a bit better or to avoid trouble. But look at what Jesus said about that. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revel you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This sermon is about the kingdom of heaven. What are the conditions that will enable this new way of living? This righteousness and justice and mercy that Jesus keeps talking about. What needs to change so that that can take root and flourish? Well, the answer is us. We need to change. The Ten Commandments really hinge on the first one. The rest is commentary. If we love God completely, then we wouldn't need the rest because we wouldn't ever consider breaking any of them. That's what this Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's about the law. It's about the commandments. It's about pointing out that murder and theft and adultery and lying and cheating are points that have their roots much further back in our thoughts, our behaviours and our attitudes. If we think it's okay to be angry with someone, it's just a short step to fighting and another short step to hating and another short step to murder. 
if we think that it's okay to sexualise women and men and to see them as objects of desire rather than people, it's a short step to justifying all kinds of things. If we think it's okay to tell little lies, then it's a short step to bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones and pretty soon we become strangers to the truth. So if we sort out our thoughts and our attitudes and our behaviours, if we focus on God and in seeing people as people created by God, people with great worth, each of us created by God to be children of God, then that's how the kingdom of heaven comes about. Moses knew it. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, his decrees and his ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you. Throughout his ministry, Jesus will keep pulling and pulling on these threads. The eventual end is something as simple as it is profound. Love God. Love one another. There's strong words Strong words that Jesus says and how we should live with each other and among each other. And they're hard words because we all know too well the damage that we can all do when we fail to live up to them. These are urgent words to pull us away from the darkness and destruction and move us to the light of restoration. These are words of love calling us to be reconcilers, peace bringers, love givers, joy bringers. These are words to help us to make whole the things that are broken. Our lives, our friendships, our relationships, our trust, our reputations. We will live into the kingdom of heaven just as Jesus intends all of us to do if we do these things and work hard on them and help others to do the same.
prayers for others and ourselves. Eternally loving God, we thank you for all that we are and all that you have given us. As we come before you in worship today, we see your work all around us, in the love of our communities, in the dedication of those who work for the good of society, in our friends and families, and in our own hearts as we work together, striving to follow you. We pray today for all your people in this church community and outside it, that they may know your love and grace, that we will all use the talents and insights you have given to work for a more just world and a society that values each individual for who they are. We pray for ourselves, for our own faith lives, that we will grow in knowledge of you and what you want from us and for us, that we will use our faith for good in this world. We pray for working through troubled relationships and those rebuilding lives after failed ones, that they will have an abundance of care and support from you and those around them. We pray for those who are attacked in your name, those who have suffered because of a damaging interpretation of your word, that your spirit will guide all people towards love and grace, rather than condemnation and hate. We pray for all those who are marginalised within the church and outside it, that we will all remember your place first and foremost, as God in and of the margins. We pray for our troubled world, in which politics of fear, hate and lies are commonplace, in which compromise is a lost art, in which those with the least continue to lose, and those with the most continue to gain, and those with the power to do so will consider their actions, and remember the impact they have on our lives. We pray that your grace and love will guide all our lives, and that we will give everything to do to your work. This we promise as we join together to pray in the words you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. The things that we have laid down, the things we have been forgiven for, may we leave them here and go into the world to make new relationships, not based in our past, but based in what our future is yet to hold. Blessed. Blessed by God who loves each one of us. Blessed by the God that we know as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Now and always. Oh, mm-hmm.
The food bank opens for collection on Sunday from 1pm until 2.30pm and every Sunday thereafter. Uh, obviously, it's been Christmas and New Year, so stocks are low. So any donations that you could bring to the food bank would be very gratefully appreciated. And don't forget, if you or anyone you know needs food, then they can come and collect food at the same time from 1pm until 2.30pm every Sunday at St Ninian's Church. The Guild meets this Monday at 7.30pm in the Church Hall and the speaker is Avril Cutler, who is a healthcare chaplain working at University Hospital Hare Myers. Our third Sunday youth group meets on the third Sunday, which is the 19th of February, and we will be exploring the topic of love. And to help us do that, Matt from the URC Synod is going to come and help us and bring lots of Lego with him. And our new Cafe Church, which is going to be looking at the theme of Holy Habits, begins on the 23rd of February. That's Thursday the 23rd of February at 7.30pm. We're going to explore every month a holy habit and the first one is reading the Bible. You are very welcome to join us.